0: Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Down in southwestern New South Wales, you find the small town of Mullameen. You find it where the Edward River meets up with Billabong Creek. And in that town, there's one school, and the principal of that school is Jenny Wilson, and Jenny is our guest here today. Jenny, where do we find Moolameen?
1: Uh, so Moolameen is on the Edward River. If you were to drive to Wagga, you'd have to keep driving another 400 k's. We are about an hour and a half from Hay, an hour from Daniloquin, an hour from Balranald. Ranald. So we're, we're a crossroads where um, you get to cross the river and it's a small town with just 300 people.
0: And why are you in Moolameen?
1: So I have always loved small schools. I started um, teaching in small schools around Bathurst, but I also needed to get a permanent position. So I went to the Outback and I went to Hillston Central School for about four years. So living remotely and teaching remotely was something that wasn't new to me, but I absolutely love small schools because I like the connection that you can have with the students, the connections you can have with the community, and staff as well and you also have a sense of freedom in a small school. You get to um, get to try different things because you don't have such a large group of students and you can build really strong connections to the community.
0: Uh, Did you go to a small school yourself?
1: No I went to um, Bathurst Public School and then Bathurst High School but I really enjoyed teaching at um, a little school outside of Bathurst called O'Connell School and I loved it. It was only two teachers And I knew one day that I would end up back as a teaching principal in a small school because I just loved it so much. So you
0: were a teacher at uh, at O'Connell School?
1: Yeah, just casually. So it was just a casual position, but um, I wanted to get a permanent job, so I moved on and I decided to take an outback position and I've never regretted that.
0: So let's just talk a little bit about the challenge of teaching at a small school. I'm always struck when I look at the statistics in New South Wales. We have hundreds and hundreds Mm. of schools with teaching principals. Strikes me if you're teaching a school with only two teachers, you've got to you've got to learn how to do everything pretty quickly.
1: You do. And I was lucky enough to um, work at a large school and I had various roles on the south coast in that large school. So I felt really equipped to be able to deal with any situation because I had been... Um, working with gifted and talented kids. I'd been working on learning support. I trained as a reading recovery teacher. So I felt like I had a lot of expertise. So when I got to a small school, I'd already had various roles. But along the way, as a principal, you're always challenged anyway within a small school because you have to be the master of everything.
0: So let's talk about going to Muldermeen, you, you're there. I think, you know, when you start, there are only about 40 kids yes. uh, at the school. There's kind of no place to hide. There's no place to hide in the staff room. There are a few people no. to hide from. <laughs> so so how do you arrive and get a sense of what is going on in a small school when you start there as principal?
1: Well, that's really interesting because when I arrived, I knew that my school needed to feel a sense of safety. So they needed to know that I was there for the right reasons. They how, had, how, did
0: you, how did you know that safety was important?
1: Because they'd had... Um, A disruptive last couple of years. So they needed someone that showed commitment to the job. And Mm. that's what I had to do very quickly. I had to say, I'm here for the right reasons. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to make this school the very best it can be.
0: And how did you provide that reassurance early on?
1: So... I connected to the community. I told them every step of the way of the things and the changes that I would make to improve the outcomes of the students. When I got there, I had a lot of students that were not reading at benchmarks, So literacy was an issue, so that's where I started. I thought if I could get every child at this school reading really well, they will go home and they will start reading and their parents will go, wow, you really are learning to read with this new principal on board.
0: And, and did you learn much from looking at the data on the school?
1: I did I looked at the before I got there, I knew that I had to make changes instantly to to improve the outcomes of those students, so um, yes, I looked at I looked at the school plan, I looked at NAPLAN data, um, and I gathered information off the teachers as well.
0: Let me tell you about the the teachers, and I appreciate they'll be listening to this yes, so there's no place to hide on this no you know you arrive as um, In a sense, young, new teacher. You arrive in the town. Some of them have been there for a period of time. they worked hard in the school. How do you convince them that we're going to need to do things differently around here?
1: Well, sometimes teachers are really keen to put as many tools into their belt, I would say. Now, every teacher I know wants to improve their practice. And our classrooms are very complex places to be, especially out in um, remote areas. Um, so they knew that they were really willing and open to the changes that I was going to make. But I helped them also help me make decisions. We did it as a, a group. Um, I had parents involved. I said, "What are the things that?" I asked them. I said, "What, what can, what changes do you want me to make at the school?" What, how can we make this a better school? So they were part of the decisions that I made to improve the school.
0: I want, to, I want to dig a little bit into what you did specifically around literacy. But one of the interesting things I think we can see when we look at the data and one of the big challenges I think we, we face in Australia and big states like New South Wales is the performance of kids in regional areas, yes. rural areas, remote areas. And there's this question of high expectations, I think. definitely. And, and so the question is really... Did you have people who thought, well, these kids are as these kids are, they probably don't come from advantaged backgrounds, and you know, some of their parents may not have high levels of literacy or high levels of education. How, how did you get the mindset right that you needed to be more ambitious for these kids?
1: Well, I was really lucky. I had a lot of beginning teachers, so they were just starting their career, and I, I said to them, we must have high expe- expectations with our, with our students and our parents we must expect high results, and if we expect it, we'll work at get, getting those high results. And I did have um, teachers that have been teaching at the school for a long time, but I was just really lucky that they were open to my ideas and some changes along the way. And I kind of banned a saying which was, Oh, they're only mulamine kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said, No, no, all kids can reach our benchmarks and they can work beyond benchmarks if we give them the right opportunities. So
0: tell us about how you went about lifting literacy performance.
1: Well, when I was on the coast, I must say I took professional learning for granted. I was able to, you know, get to courses very easily in the afternoons. I only had to drive 20 or 30 k's down the road to get to professional learning. And I was able to train in lots of different areas. And access lots of programs. And then when I went to a rural and remote area, I was really shocked at my, shocked at how I took that for granted. And then I worked out that a lot of the courses were 400 kilometers away, and that's just one way. Mm. So a teacher to attend any professional learning, it was going to be a three day trip, one day traveling, one day for the course, and one day back.
0: And a big hole in your budget.
1: And financially not viable. Mm. So when I went to principal um, network meetings, all the principals were saying the same thing. We want to improve literacy and numeracy. Um, and I, my area of expertise was, was literacy. Now, I tried to sit on my hands because I was, I'd moved. I'd have three children and I thought, I'll just wait a little while to see what happens in our district. So I thought, you know, people might come out here and offer some professional learning. But it wasn't the case. So I knew that for my results to improve, I needed to improve the way teaching was happening at my school. I need to put more tools, like I said, in teacher's belts. So I thought, well, I'll start a course myself. And that's exactly what I did. I started a course. I didn't wait for a solution to come to me. And listening to all the other principals, I knew that they needed professional learning for their teachers as well. So I took a chance really, and I, decided to be innovative myself and started a, um, the thing that I now call the Literacy Den. So
0: tell us about the Literacy Den. What happens there and what does the professional development look like for staff there?
1: So what I did is I looked at other school plans, not just my own. I, I kind of believe that while we work for a school, we also work for the department. And I thought it was my role. If I was going to put some professional learning in place for my teachers, then why not invite other schools? Mm. So I asked, I asked the principals what they needed. I looked at their school plans and literacy is was in all school plans. Yeah. And then I also asked the teachers what they felt they needed support in. So I surveyed teachers. So then I gathered this really good insight to what they actually needed rather than me developing a course with what I thought they needed.
0: And was there a difference? You know, how was, how was the course difference uh, once you'd spoken to teachers about what they felt they needed?
1: well i thought that i would go in at a different level to what i did go in i thought i'd um i thought that i might just need to fine tune something they already know about but i actually went back way back and, and started at basic levels because we had beginning a lot of beginning teachers start their career in rural and remote regions so um i started from scratch really let's see what fantastic guided reading looks like let's see what a really good um, writing lesson looks like. So, um, yeah, so I designed the course around the teachers' needs rather than what I thought they needed. So they had a lot of input to what the course was about.
0: And how long does the course go for?
1: Well, I started it last year, and I thought, yeah. oh, I'll just do it for a year to see if that works. Yeah. you know, it's like I like I said, it was very experimental. So I started into some at the start of last year and I thought well I'll split it into two. I actually started two courses. So teachers travel to my little school and they travel twice a term and it's ongoing professional learning for a whole term. I got to the end of the year and about you know 25-26 teachers from long distances travel to our school and they had had a whole year of professional learning. So I thought oh maybe that's enough but then when I asked them, you know, would you like this to continue? Everyone said, well, we've got a lot more people that want to come this time. Mm. So now we have over 60 people coming to our school this in the tu- middle this of a, nowhere. It's a
0: tourism boom. <laughs> it at is. The, yep. the,
1: honestly, the local cafe loved me for <laughs> it. <laughs> I have to let them know when they come. Yeah. And um, so now we have workshops running um, throughout the year for teachers to come to our school and learn um, how to teach literacy well. Yeah. And,
0: and I mean that that's, sounds remarkable it's also part of the challenge I think we know is you can go to a course you learn you' you're surrounded by all the stimulation and the input mm-hmm. from that course finally you got to go back and implement it on the ground in your yeah. school in your classroom and and, uh, and Jenny Wilson is not there uh, at their side so how are they going back in the school?
1: Well we've had really positive feedback because what the course, does it takes it to I call it ground zero the classroom. So the way I would structure each workshop was I would say this is what the research is showing that works well in the classroom and we've got so much information out there with what works best. I mean the department has done an amazing job with having all these websites and platforms that we can access this information from and sometimes that I find beginning teachers find that very overwhelming. it's all, I call it the analysis paralysis. They analyze everything that's on the department's website and the research to the point where they're paralyzed by it. Mm-hmm. So I saw my role as in getting the ball rolling. So that's what I did, but I said, okay, well, this is the research, but this is what it actually looks like in the classroom. So I would actually go and collect, I go and collect the um, students out of, their cl- out of their classrooms and I bring them in and I do um, a modelled lesson. So they actually can see what the research means for the classroom teacher. So it's connecting current practices to ground zero within the classroom. And then I provide the resources for them to then go and implement it within their own um, school and their own classrooms. And then it also means that those um, teachers that come to our um, professional learning they can then show other teachers how to do it. So it's reciprocal teaching in itself.
0: Um, Talk talk a little bit more about some of the other challenges that you face at Mullamin and these kids. I mean, it's a a long way away from the big city. Pretty dry part of the country now.
1: Very dry.
0: So what are the challenges that you're seeing in your local community, and how do they manifest themselves at your school?
1: Well, the drought is obviously affecting our school. Um, We have a lot of itinerant workers that travel. So it means that they have to really love Moolameen to stay at Moolameen. Now, what I can do as a principal to ease the burden of farmers and people that are experiencing such harsh um, conditions at the moment due to the drought, is I can assure those Parents that they can put their children on the bus and they get on that bus and they come to school and they have a really great day. Their grass is green, they, um, they're they coming to school because they want to come to school. I can ease their burden by allowing them to come to a school that's doing a great job. Mm. So it's some, if, they're, if they're not worried about school, then that's one less thing they need to worry about in their life. But in a small community, it does also mean that I must tap into other resources, resources, um, You know, it could be mental health resources that I need to um, tap into for families. It can also mean that I have to uh, um, contact St Vincent de Paul's and organise some food hampers for people. So I have a strong welfare side um, that I have to tap into when you work in a small community experiencing difficulties.
0: Um, One of the issues you've you've wanted to focus on is school attendance. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's interesting, I think we've talked about this a lot at the executive level of the department. Yeah. You know, if, if you believe that school matters...
1: That's right. ..then you
0: believe school attendance yes. matters. So what, what have been your, your thoughts and your strategies about how you, how you ensure that you get as many kids through the door every day?
1: Well, the parents probably consider me a bit of an attendance nag, which I take pride in, really. Yeah. yeah. And it's because I, my attendance rate was not good. Mm. So I use the power of creative arts to get our students at the school. So I found a lot of my students needed to improve their self-esteem, they needed to believe in themselves as learners, and they needed to develop some confidence. And creative arts can do that. So I taught them how to play an instrument. I, um, I also taught them that they could be creative and follow their own thoughts. So we had a problem on Fridays, people would not send this um, children to school and we also found that the last week of term was really problematic for us. You're, so cl- you're
0: close to the border too, aren't I you? am
1: very close to the border. So it meant that a lot of our high school students go to Victorian schools. So that means they would break up a week early. So my students then would break up a week early even though it was school time. Mm. So I created so many um, exciting things in the last week of school to ensure that they would want to come to school. So they did. So I, I tapped into our community. We've, I'm very lucky to live in a community where we have practicing artists and an art gallery. And creative arts obviously is a passion of mine as well. So um, I had our community men- members come in and run really amazing art workshops, such as glass making, mosaics. Um, we had painting and drawing, oil pastel classes. We also had some great science workshops as well. So the last week of school at Mullamin is very exciting. We we run all these amazing workshops and the kids just do not want to miss out. And that means they're at school. So if they're at school for that, they're at school to read every day as well. So it's been um, fantastic. We haven't had kids take extra days off and they actually nag their parents to come to school, which is exactly what I want.
0: We talked about um, data earlier and your big focus on literacy. Um, Is it too soon to see improvement in the outcomes of your kids? What are you seeing uh, through your work?
1: So when I arrived, I had a lot of my kids weren't reading at benchmark. So if they're not reading at benchmark, they're not writing at benchmark. In 2016 and 17, um, I had about... 20% of our students were in the top two bands for NAPLAN. Now last year, 100% of our students in year three are in the top two bands for reading. So that's a massive improvement already. And I would expect now that um, that to continue as well. So it also means that if you put numeracy and literacy together, because they are linked, um, to improve numeracy, you have to improve literacy because it means they can read and understand a question. Um, it means that 55% of my students in Year 3 and Year 5 are now in the top two bands of NAPLAN. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic uh, fantastic achievement. And I suppose an important message back to the community linking back into the high expectations that we were Definitely. talking about earlier. Um have you focused much on NAPLAN, or is NAPLAN just a byproduct of the other
1: stuff? It's a doing? byproduct, really. Yeah, I mean, every principal wants great NAPLAN results. Yeah. Um, but I knew at the heart of improving um, the outcomes of my students was to improve literacy. So I knew that to improve maths, I needed to work on literacy.
0: So. Um, I suppose some of the other principals I've spoken to who've had great NAPLAN results have said, look, you know, you almost back yourself in that if your stra- literacy strategy is working, you're going to see it in the NAPLAN results.
1: That's right. That's how it, exactly how I feel as well. So it was just a confirmation of what I put into place is actually working.
0: One of the uh, interesting things I think about your school is that, you know, it's it's the one school in town, mm-hmm. right, Um. It's a pretty static population, about 300 people in the town, but yep. you've you've seen significant enrolment growth.
1: Yeah, Tell so us about that story. I'm bucking the trend definitely, I feel. Um,
0: so where are these kids coming from and what do the numbers show?
1: So when I started, we had about 40 students. We now have 60 students. And it means that um, parents are now choosing to send their, their children to Mulhamane Public School rather than putting them on the bus in, to go into the bigger towns of Swan Hill or Barham. So that's exciting for us because local kids are staying at our school. They're not choosing to go to the private schools or the larger schools. And it also means that... Um, and, well, cross,
0: and crossing the border and for, crossing a, the border, for you a, you a Victorian do not education. To, exactly. And a special hello to all our Victorian listeners
1: today. <laughs> I really wanted to keep our kids at our, at our school. And so that meant I got out into the community quite often. You know, in our... Newspaper. We are in the newspaper every week. Mm. It means that people know what we're doing at the school. I changed the grounds at the school. I made sure that our school looked good. Everyone wanted to be there, so we we turned the appearance around of the school as well. And I often say that I woke the school up. <laughs> I found that um, our school was once a central school, and mm. half my school had locks on the doors and. Or it felt like it They were. It was asleep because it was the high school part of the school had been shut down and not used. It was almost like... Um, a ghost town. It was, and yeah. it made me really sad because I'd come from a, a school on the coast where we would love extra rooms, you know.
0: So did you, what, did you broke open the locks? What did you I do? I did.
1: I broke open the locks and we have renovated, and we've done that ourselves as, with the help of the PNC and... We now have a music room, we now have a technology room, we're now turning a um, an old woodwork room into a design and technology room. So now these children have all these amazing facilities that they didn't once have. We have um, made our school look amazing. We had a beautification program and it's been well, very well received by the parents, the grandparents and the great-grandparents because people... Have sentimental value within our school. There are grandparents that walk around the street and they're looking at the, these buildings, and they're all locked up and they they weren't being used. So I felt that that would be really sad for them. So now they're all awake and we're we're using them. So it's that itself has been really powerful.
0: You're clearly ambitious. You yes. know, you're ambitious for the kids. Uh, you're ambitious for the learning in the schools around uh, your school. Uh, you're ambitious for the community. What's What's next on your agenda for the school?
1: Well, I see my role out there is sharing my expertise still. So I love building bridges between all our small schools because being in a small school away from larger centres can be isolating and we do want to keep our great teachers out there. So again, I still see future development in our literacy program that we run but I also, I haven't my job's not done there. I've still got a few rooms to renovate and um, I just really enjoy working out there. I enjoy working with the community. The community mean a lot to me and um, I take my job very seriously. I think it's an honourable position that you can have in a small school. You are the, the lifeblood of that town when you are working at a school and you have a really important role as a principal.
0: And across New South Wales, we have hundreds of small schools yeah. and hundreds of teaching principals like you Jenny and I think you know it's a really salient message I think to everyone I think there can be a sense that you know the bigger the school the more important the job mm. but in a way that the weight that a small school principal carries not just with those kids but in the community I mean you you'll be a big figure in that town
1: right yeah and it's it's a badge that you should wear with pride and I do I wear I do wear it with pride Um, I probably know most of the town people and the community really appreciate the work you do and that's what I really love about it. No matter what you do they appreciate, they can see how hard you work, they see my car parked out there on Sundays and they know that I work hard and they know that I work hard for the right reasons, they know I want the best for the students at that school and I know how important this school is to the community.
0: And now we all want to visit Moolameen.
1: Yes, come along. <laughs> Jenny
0: Wilson, thanks so much for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from you can get in touch with us via twitter at new south wales education on facebook or email every student podcast at det.nsw.edu.au thanks again and i'll catch you next time